and we are on. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Another day, another episode of the Core Report, man. It's craziness going on right here. We got so many headlines to go through. We're going to go through everything from 45's nonsense with this rally in Tulsa to we have breaking news going on right now with the Rayshard Brooks case and what the officers are doing there crossing the thin blue line. It seems it's interesting out here, you know what I'm saying? I mean, of course, the latest corona numbers. Of course, a whole bunch of things going on in local and national politics. We got it all for you in this episode of The Core Report. And like I said, the main, main point of this thing here, because this nonsense with J. Cole and No Name Today has been so ridiculous, this is about listening to black women, y'all. Something that you need to work on and do regularly if you want to live a quality life. This shit is not rocket science, y'all. I hate the fact that social media and the media put pits us against each other so much and in so so many ways that are not reflective of our real life experience. This ain't how we live, y'all. This ain't how we treat our black women. This can't be how we treat our black women. You know what I'm saying? This cannot be because this shit is getting out of hand. So like I said, man, Core Report, listen to black women episode. Man, this episode is dedicated to Angela Davis. This is dedicated to Francis Cress Wellson. This is dedicated to Harriet A. Washington. Dedicated to Carol Anderson. Dedicated to No Name. This is dedicated to Jean Grey. This is dedicated to all the women geniuses, the women who have shaped us and molded us, man. I was listening. I heard y'all. You know what I'm saying? And of course, I got to dedicate this one for real in a side way. Not a black woman, but still a woman who's very important and instrumental in what I do. Amy Goodman of Democracy Now. Thank you for doing your show every day. You've inspired me to do my show every day. We got to share these stories. You share them with me, I'm sharing them with y'all. Core report headlines, let's go. Breaking news right now. The Rayshard Brooks shooting, that's go, that's been um, the focus of the most recent uptick in protest, is now heading into, you know, its legal phases. The officers were fired in, immediately from the force, and today they have been charged. The one officer has been charged with 11 felony counts, 11 felony counts, including murder. Felony murder. I'm not sure what degree. I'm sure Georgia has some type of different language that they use in regards to that. The other officer has three misdemeanor counts, I believe, and is also a cooperating witness with the state. This officer has decided that he is not going down with the ship with his off with his co-defendant. This officer is on tape, on body cam footage, standing over this man after he shot him, saying, we got him, and kicking him. His partner also led a round off, so he is equally tied up in the guilt train here. So him turning state's evidence is very interesting because what is he going to say? How is he going to portray this incident as him being somehow against the officer who committed this crime, and is that going to open up some type of segue for other officers or other partners or basically, you know, aiders and abettors of this state violence to find their way out of it? That's what I'm concerned about. That's the most concerning thing about this entire thing. But 
charging the officers immediately, firing the officers immediately, and then charging the officers immediately. It seems to be a step in the direction of quelling the inevitable unrest that was going to come up if these officers are not held to the fullest accountability by the law. So they're trying their best to keep Atlanta from exploding. And that's all this is, really. That's all this is. These guys are not going to jail. This other officer who's turned state evidence, I promise you, this is a ploy for him to try to mitigate not only his responsibility, but the police department and the culture of policing's responsibility for this killing. So that's something you really need to be aware of. These measures that they're taking, these aren't reformative measures or, you know, deconstructive measures. These are actually measures to just maintain the status quo. So stay on top of that. Again, with the maintaining of the status quo, y'all president has decided that he is going to push forward with this rally in Tulsa on Sunday, uh, Sunday the 20th. Man, they're saying they're having temperature checks, they're going to have sanitizer, but they're also going to have waivers. If you show up at this rally, you got to sign a waiver that basically says that you're going to indemnify the Trump campaign, the Trump organization, whatever. I mean, he's the president, so I don't know if they're saying you, can, you can't sue the country, but whatever it is, you cannot take any legal action against anyone else for attending this propaganda event. And the funniest thing about it is, like, yo, if you go to this and get COVID, you deserve it. You deserve it, yo, because this is the most idiotic thing ever. Tulsa had a record day of COVID cases being diagnosed with 96 cases. Tulsa, Oklahoma, today, the place where you're having the rally, had a record in coronavirus diagnosis today, and you're still pushing ahead with this plan. Good luck with that, bro. Good fucking luck with that. Meanwhile, the last time the coronavirus task force met, it was April 27th. He haven't talked to Anthony Fauci in two weeks. He hasn't spoken to this man in two weeks. You know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous. All these controversies that your man 45 has going on within the middle of a pandemic, again, like I said, distractions. And he came out and he made an executive order referring to all of the police violence and all of the civil unrest that's going on currently. We'll talk about that later on in the show, how his executive orders are bullshit. His executive orders don't mean anything. Those are basically equivalent to edicts. Right, suggestions. He's not a king. He can't mandate anything from the White House without Congress's at least participation slash approval. So... Never get caught up in any of these Rose Garden speeches. They don't mean anything. These rallies, though, they mean a lot to them. Like you said, Ma, this is, hey, this is it. This is the Simpsons coming to real life. All of us 80s and 90s kids, man, we've been watching this happen in animated form for a decade or so. So now we get to see it in real life. It's incredible. Meanwhile, another story, as I said, when I started the core report, we started this to bring y'all the news that Anderson Cooper and Cuomo and them aren't bringing you. We have not discussed at all the alarming amount of people in prisons catching COVID-19. The prison population has experienced, has been the latest segment of the population to experience the biggest spike in coronavirus cases. Right now, there are 68,000 reported cases of coronavirus 
in prisons across the United States. And you know that that's super underreported. If you know anything about the criminal justice system, you know everything in there is un underreported. So at the end of the day, right now, we're talking about 68,000 human beings incarcerated in America in a, in a place where over 2 million people are incarcerated in this entire nation right now infected with this virus. In Arizona, in one county jail in Arizona, cases went from six from six cases to 3,000. That's a 5,000% increase. 5,000% increase in coronavirus cases. And that is just mirroring the trend. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, yo, Saxby, hey, thank you for checking back in, love. Listen, it's South Park. This is a this is a the worst kind of comic strip. As a matter of fact, what I really like to liken this shit to is Daria, Sick Sad World. If any of y'all remember Daria, this is this is Sick Sad World in the flesh right here. Every day, man. It is so disappointing. So fucking disheartening. You know what I'm saying? So that's that happening. Now, as we have the prison cases increasing and the biggest thing we know is that all of this stuff comes from closed-in environments. One of the larger places, or one of the larger, hey, all the Black Bear episodes were, one of the larger, one of the larger spaces or one of the larger sectors of the economy that we've been worried about with coronavirus because of the working conditions is the meatpacking industry. 89 people who work in the meatpacking industry across this nation have died of coronavirus. There are over 1,200 cases of coronavirus active in the meatpacking community, so it were. What we were told was that we needed to keep these places open because the United States was in danger of experiencing a, a meat shortage. We were going to experience a nationwide shortage of the nation's food supply. We were told that the nation's food supply was in peril. Well, folks, the numbers came out, and that turned out to be a lie. And as a matter of fact, there was record meat production in February and March. There was record meat production. We shipped more pork to China during the month of April. We spent 129 thousand tons of pork. 129,000 tons. That's obscene. Of pork to China in the month of April. And that's more than we had ever, ever sent them. Somewhat of a 30% increase in what we had sent them. You want to know why? Because China really is dealing with some food shortage and some food supply chain breakages. And they have this outbreak, quote-unquote, under control. But we've seen how that worked. Schools in Beijing have been closed once again. All types of cancel, all types of flights in Beijing have been canceled. There's all types of upheaval going on in China right now that because of, one, the cultural dissonance between America and China, it tends to be something that we're not super connected to. The events in China, the Chinese government, their state-controlled media is very good at controlling the flow of information to and fro. So therefore, we don't really know what the hell is going on in China. However, when we hear about the things that are going on there, it's often alarming because they're much further along the trajectory 
of dealing with this and dealing with this responsibly than we are. You know what I'm saying? They're having, they're facing their second wave and closing down again. And we are reopening after not even dealing with the first wave. We're in trouble, y'all. Internationally, Australia has made sure, has announced to the international community, yes, Australia, that big-ass island that calls itself a continent. But it is a continent. But it's a humongous island in the South Pacific. Yeah. Closed until 2021. Closed borders. International borders of Australia are locked off until 2021. And the U.S. borders, if you weren't aware of this, the U.S. borders between Canada and Mexico, the southern and the northern border, have been closed for the past four months, and they'll be closed for at least another month to anything except what they would deem essential travel. So a lot of people, if you weren't aware, there's a lot of people who live in Southern California on that Mexico-California border, as well as in Texaco, and Texas, pardon me, that go back and forth for school, for work, all of that. That's been shut down. So... Again, with the militarization of the United States and the continued, you know, relinquishing of our freedom, that's what's, that's something else that's happening there. International travel is severely limited, and even within this continent, intercontinental travel has been extremely limited. We talked about 45. Let's get right back to it. These executive orders that he's issuing. He's, exi- he's issued more executive orders as president than any other president. And the problem with him issuing these executive orders is that they are generally teethless, spineless, unenforceable documents. These are generally statements that Trump gets to make from his platform as president. He definitely, they have legal repercussions. They definitely do. Don't get me wrong. There are certain executive orders that have ceased the operation of certain federal bureaus or have, you know, upped the, ramped up the enforcement of certain federal laws because he's the president. He is in charge of the federal bureaucracy and all of its apparatuses, all of the federal police. That's why, again, back to this executive order, anything that he's saying is strictly referring to federal police. Federal police are not policing 90% of America. We live in D.C. Federal police are districting, are policing 90% of where we live, which is fucking insane. The amount of federal police that we actually have to deal with and contend with in our daily life as Washingtonians or just members, people who live in this society in this area. But the fact of the matter is, is that that is a very large, I mean, pardon me, a very small segment of America's police force. So anything that you could executively order them to do would only be a precedent-setting document. It would be something that you would say to those people in order to get them to say, look, the federal government does it this way, so your state should adopt the same guidelines. His executive order that he issued the other day from the Rose Garden included a speech where he spent basically 75% of it praising the police department, just outright praising the police department. He was surrounded by law enforcement, and, of course, I think the, the, the nigga of the moment, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's the reliable Negro of the moment for that particular cause. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Listen, be very careful of people like this. Like, you always, people always say, we got to vote our way up. We got to vote 
to, you know, get black faces in high places. Fam, these are the faces that they put in those places. Pay attention. These guys, these, these is not Kim folk just because they skin folk. They are not. Tim, Senator Tim Scott is not your man, all right? It's the same guy who still has not come out and demanded some type of action based on the horrific shooting that happened in his state that he represents, South Carolina. Five years ago, to the day, to this day, was the Bethel AME churching, a church shooting. Dylan Roof came in and shot nine parishioners as they prayed, you know what I'm saying? After he prayed with them. Like, these are the type of sick, heinous crimes that, unfortunately, white suspects get to commit and walk away from, you know what I'm saying? There you go, Sachs. I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a politician. I'm never one of those people who stands politicians because I know what it takes for them to get there. And it takes a lot of, as I say often, moral flexibility. Those people are morally flexible. They don't care about sticking to certain principles or certain ideals because that's not politically advantageous. You know what I'm saying? Benjamin Davis, famous Tuskegee Airman, Famous congressman, you know what I'm saying? Benjamin O. Davis, black man, really a champion of this shit. He understood the game very well. He wrote a book based on one of the most famous phrases in politics. It's no permanent friends. It's no permanent enemies. It's just permanent interest. Just permanent interest. There's no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interest. And that's what it is. This country and the people that run it, their permanent interest, permanent interest is seeing us in the subjugated underclass and seeing them running the show. So at the end of the day, you don't don't look at these people as if they're, you know, says loyalist to any cause, to any cause. And that's politics in a nutshell, straight up and down. You know what I'm saying? And these executive orders, these are political machinations. These executive orders, these aren't legal. These aren't things that have gone through the vetting of, you know, the legal process as we know it in America. These are political, you know, points that are being scored by a certain person, similar to a filibuster, similar to, you know, House members making, you know, all types of outrageous public statements or trying to hold up the legislative process through whatever, you know, devices are available to them. Meanwhile, real protests still exist, and it's still going on in the streets. I know y'all have been, we've been talking about this all this week. We've been talking about the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ, as it's known in Seattle. It's now grown and developed more. And notice, if it's not no fires, they're not talking about that shit. There's no media coverage in the CHAZ Zone anymore because it's not sexy enough anymore. It's now morphed from the CHAZ zone, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, to what they call the CHOP, which is the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. It's the CHOP. I love it. They got the whole block occupied, locked off. They are controlling this. They are in negotiations with the Seattle Police Department and the Seattle Mayor, which is what we all as citizens have a right to do. It's a goddamn shame we got to take over a block to do it. But that's what got to happen sometimes. Currently, it's happening all the way across the, the country. On the other side of the country, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, there is a group that's been occupying the whole entire block. 
that the police headquarters are on, and they want justice for a young man named Jason who was killed by the police last year. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, in the 120 days since George Floyd has killed, been killed, the police have killed, pardon me, in the 20 days the George, since George Floyd died, the police have killed 120 people. This is not a joke. Like, I know that's a hard number to swallow. I know that sounds wrong, but it's not. 120 people in 20 days, six bodies a day. It's day 21 now. I don't know who got bodied by the police today. Somebody certainly did. I didn't hear about it at this moment, but I'm certain that that's a, a reality of today. Somebody is suffering some violence at the hands of an officer. Hopefully it's not fatal. You know what I'm saying? Well, like I said, there is pushes. There are pushes for real and actual reform. This Bridgeport, Connecticut movement is very encouraging. It's being led again by a young lady, a young lady. Her brother is the Jason in question who they're looking for justice for. I believe his last name was Martinez. I don't want to misquote it, but young Latinx lady that's leading this whole thing. Shout out to my girl, Laura, in the building. You know what I'm saying? It's funny that this this uh, story coincides with, you know, you pop it up. I love it. So she's out there right now, and she's really, you know what I'm saying, pushing it. They are not joking. They are not going to leave this space. And in America, that brand of protest occupying space, it seems to be the most effective, you know, weapon in at least garnering the attention necessary. Because when the police come in with their ride gear and to clear out this area, which they will with no, no doubt, they, that's what they're going to end up doing. When they come, it's going to be such a spectacle. It's going to be such a thing that it's going to make people understand. What up, family? It's going to make people understand that people are, again, being suppressed. People are, again, being, you know, broken down to their lowest compound by the state because they don't want to see them resisting, yo. Babe, can you hand me that book when you get a chance? Yo, the one I was reading, Carolyn Anderson. Yo, I'm telling you, we there's so much precedence. Thank you so much. There's so much precedence for this. And there's so much, there's so many examples of this being the direction that we're headed in with the totalitarianism that it's not a popular thing. It's not something that's fun to talk about. It's not something that's going to make people feel good. This is not sunshine and lollipops. This is what's happening here. Again, keep the pressure on. Richmond, Virginia's police chief was fired today. In Richmond, Virginia, they had protests on Sunday and Monday of this week. Sunday and Monday of this week that we did not hear about, because again, that's not news that you can use. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about this shit and the fact that it's going on in several cities across the country. Yo, this is insanity. This is insanity. Richmond, Virginia's police chief was fired. Thank you, Slash. Long overdue. This asshole used tear gas and rubber bullets on protesters on Monday. On Monday and Sunday. Listen, George Floyd, the peak of the protest was somewhere around 18, 17 days ago. This man literally pulled a whole let's squash the protesters move tonight using tear gas and rubber bullets on Sunday and Monday. That's insane. You know what I'm saying? Trauma news wins. Exactly. 
That's what they want to talk about. They don't want to talk about resistance. They want to talk about trauma. And these and, and the people who, I guess, nobody suffered enough, nobody died enough for the news to even circulate down there, at least in a, in a, in a hyperbolic manner. So this thing happens. Thankfully, the pressure and the, like you said, Slez, everybody who know, and I know you spend a lot of time out in Richmond. Now, shout out to all my people who like to go to Richmond and crush PBRs and do all type of cool shit because Richmond can be a cool ass city. Man, listen, they know that the police down there have been, bro, there you go, Slez. You had multiple friends who were down there, man. They know that the police in Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy, are on bullshit. And have been on bullshit consistently for decades. So none of this is surprising. Richmond is the capital. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Thank you. Richmond is the capital of the Confederacy. Never, ever, ever forget that. They take it down Robert E. Lee statues in New Orleans. Richmond is hundreds of miles away. And that's Robert E. Lee's home. That's Jefferson Davis's home. That's where they come from. And this is the type of shit they do out there. It's nuts. Again, with the militarization of the police and the protest against the protesters, we're still losing sight of what's really happening here. People cannot see the forest for the trees. Like I said, the the police chief was fired for using non-lethal force, but it's still very much so excessive force against the protesters in Richmond, Virginia. However, there are people who are a part of an armed far-right insurgency movement calling themselves the Boogaloo Boys. Yo, they are really out here shooting police at protest for, for because they want to do it. Not because they believe in anything that BLM stands for. I want to str- I want to stress that. They do not have any connection or any desire to have a connection with the Black Lives Matter movement or anything that the progressive protesters stand for. They don't necessarily want to defund the police. What they want is to go to war with the police. They believe that a lot of these people are former military guys. They have military experience. A former one of the one who is in question right now, Daniel Carrillo, killed two police officers in the Bay Area and he is a currently an inactive Air Force sergeant. And two other people that were arrested with him were also members of the U.S. military. These dudes got training, they're carrying guns, they got tactical gear, and they're coming to just take pot shots during a movement that we're trying to get freedom. And you think that that's not having an impact on what's going on here and the police's continued cries for militarization and continued cries for more equipment and shit like that? Y'all just learned the other day blew my mind that the LAUSD, the, the, the LA Unified School District has a vehicle that is with a, with, uh, capable of withstanding a mine blast, that's capable of withstanding a grenade blast. They just have that in the school system's budget. Like, what the fuck, y'all? Like, this is, you got to pay attention, man. The police are being militarized against us, and then they're provocateurs there you go, just like the Taliban. Exactly. We train, we, yo, you often, as an imperialist power, you empower your worst enemies. You know what I'm saying? This happened with all of, all of the um, imperial powers that have fallen. You know, Egypt empowered Rome to a certain extent. You know, that's what happened. 
It's like all of these, all you end up contributing to your downfall in ways that you, you aren't even aware of. You know what I mean? What'd you say, G? This is anarchy, huh? Like, I mean, we're headed there. We're definitely headed there. The law and order is becoming a lot, a lot less of a real factor in what happens here constantly. It's it's crazy. And in the meantime, in between time, like you say, it's anarchy. For black folks, it's a nightmare. It's still a nightmare, y'all. We're still literally hanging from trees. Like, this is literally still happening. Did you all know there's been five hangings in the last six days? Five people allegedly committing suicide by hanging in the last six days. The most recent one was in New York City. In a park in Manhattan, a young man named Dominique Alexander was found hanging last week. There's a protest plan for this weekend. It's a protest. Six. Thank you, Ma. It's six. There's a protest plan this weekend in, in Harlem, in New York City, because the police said that a nigga hung himself from a tree in a park in Manhattan. Really? Are we are we serious? Are we I know enough about the black experience to know that African Americans are not hanging themselves from trees as their final expression of going out in this world, regardless of what their state of mental decrepitness or distraughtness is. That sounds crazy. The African-American suicide rate is already well-documented as being extremely low, extraordinarily low. African-American males, that's not something that we are known for. That is not something that is a part of the entire mythology surrounding the way that black males die in America. And, right, like, thank you, Ma. Again, what are we doing? Are we climbing trees and are we jumping over boughs with nooses around our neck? Where are the chairs? Who's who's helping these people? What is going on? I hope some of y'all watch Watchmen or something because that joint was crazy. Niggas say we not doing. Thank you, Donnie. We not doing all of that. Like, that's not. Yo, don't we have a lot of guns? Don't we have an over overwhelming proliferation of guns in the black community? People are shooting themselves and shooting others at alarming rates. I'm sure if someone wanted, if you hang yourself, and I'm not, you know, I, I have a little experience with this. Like, someone hangs themselves, they want to make a message. They want to be found in a certain space. You know what I'm saying? And um, black men, all of a sudden, hanging themselves from trees does not resonate. There's not a cultural moment going on right now where black men are feeling a, a typical attachment, a, atypical attachment to trees, and now we want to hang ourselves from them. This is this is lynching. This is terror. Straight up and down. As I said, today's episode is called Listen to Black Women. I've been reading this book here by a young lady named Miss Carol Anderson, who I saw speak on Democracy Now!, my homeboy Marcus For You was reading, he he, he um, posted that he was listening to a podcast today called uh, Caping, it up, Caping Up with uh, Jonathan Capehart, 
and she was a guest, and he posted it because he was very impressed. I was impressed in the same way when I heard her on Democracy Now. I ordered both of her books instantly that day. Me and the wife, we ordered both of the books that day. In this book here, which is the one I've chosen to read first, the other one is called White Rage. In this book here, which is One People, No Vote, One Person, No Vote, she is expressing in this in the very first chapter the violence that was inflicted upon us to get us to not vote. Violence that was in the the poll taxes, the literacy tests, the outright violence. I'm going to read to you some of it later. We'll get into that. I got a couple more headlines to go. These are things, these are meant to send messages though. All of these things were meant to send messages. All of messaging and symbolism is real. As a matter of fact, if there's nothing else in America that we understand, we understand that. She she made a statement in this that I'll touch on real briefly. During the Cold War, during the after World War II, moving into the 50s and 60s and the rise of the Soviet Union and all of that, what began and became the most effective weapon was propaganda and culture. And the Soviets were winning that war for a while across the globe. They were transmitting their values of, yes, communism, everybody together as brothers, have a community, we're winning. That is why there were so many communist revolutions all across the world. Cuba, Vietnam, all types of Latin American countries, all types of Middle Eastern countries having communist revolutions. Eastern Europe, communist revolutions. The Soviets had mastered that propaganda. The United States was losing. Capitalism was losing. They understood why they were losing. It wasn't a, a matter of might because we were fighting proxy wars everywhere and we were funding everybody. So it didn't matter. We had the most guns, the most means to produce bullets and weapons. We were fighting a proxy war and we were losing because we weren't winning the culture war. So that's what we're doing now. That's what we started doing and we ain't fall off since. In the United States, it's about culture. It's about what we export. And they have exported this culture, these ideas about not only this society, that it's all freedom and this, that, and the third, but also the reality of the society, which is how they treat African-Americans, how they treat minorities, how they treat poor people, how they, you know, have all of this excess, yet people are still heavily un uneducated and classless and rude and so on and so forth. So, again, like I said, the shit that you create often ends up being your undoing. And that's what we're in right now. We're seeing our, our culture that we've exported for all of these years ultimately turn on us and become our undoing. So, you know, you cannot be surprised when you see this thing begin right. You cannot be surprised when you see this thing begin to crumble down. We've integrated it to a burning house. They have set out some messages that are patently untrue. So we can't allow ourselves to be caught up in the, in the fire. We got to get up out of here. Yo, internationally, there's a lot of stuff going on again. They've been bringing a lot of heat towards America for their, you know, for their treatment of its citizens internationally, and it's not allowing us to intercede how, you know, we used to in the affairs of other countries. North Korea and South Korea, we've totally lost 
any type of grip on that whole entire situation, and I don't even understand why we needed to have a grip on it anyway. It's all a, it's all about imperialism, though. It's all about spreading empire. So our military installations on that part of the world are important to our control over that part of the world. South Korea, pardon me, North Korea is not having it. They have decided to cut off all communication with South Korea. They have decided to start, they blew up yesterday a joint communication center right near the border just to let motherfuckers know we're done. We're not fucking around. We're through with you guys. That's it. Yo, the international moment that we find ourselves in faced with the national world moment that we find ourselves in, yo, black people, just don't get caught up, man. Don't get caught up. It's too much beef. It's too much war going on for us to have war amongst ourselves because there is there is war going on from every single angle. And if there needs to be any faction of people that's organized and that's together in order to withstand what's coming. It needs to be us because we already been through too much. So that's the entire thing right there. Last headline that I got, and then we'll get into these, these black women trying to tell y'all motherfuckers something and y'all want to talk about tone. Clowns. Anyway, last headline. PG&E, Pacific Gas and Energy, admit their role is starting the 2018 wildfires in California. In Northern California, the 2018 wildfires, which burned for like over a week, pardon me, over a month, killed 84 people, caused, burned 18,000 structures. Pacific Gas and Electric has pleaded guilty to 85 felony counts. This is incredible. This is the first time a major corporation has pleaded guilty to felony counts in an environmental disaster. Like, BP didn't even plead guilty for the fucking oil spills in in, uh, Louisiana, the Deepwater Horizon, fam. 84 people died because the power company started this shit. Yo, y'all think that we not living foul, man? We burnt down, they burnt down like all of Northern California. And we thought this was like some type of natural occurrences or something like that. This is just something that would happen. No. The power company built it, burnt it down, fam. The power company. That's crazy. When I heard that, I just was, I was, I was taken aback, man. Because I couldn't believe that, you know, utilities are allowed to even commit such atrocities. And then think about all the money that's being spent, the public money, the firefighters, the people that had to been placed out there to take care of this. That makes me think one of the reasons, niggas thought it, thank you fam, I thought it was a lightning strike. I thought maybe it was just like climate change or some other shit. No, bro. I the, the, the power company burned it down. And it also again makes me think that's one of the main reasons why the people, the firefighters who were out there saving people and putting charged with putting out these fires and setting fire lines were prisoners. Prisoners. As a matter of fact, in the state of California, when you have a felony, you cannot join the fire department when you come back out. So these brothers are firefighters in prison, and you can't even get that job when you come home. You literally saved California, and you could never get paid to do that when you come home because of your record. And you have all the training. And you have all the training. It's, and, then, and not to mention, they're paying them nothing. Paying them like a dollar twenty-five. 
a dollar, a dollar fifty to fight fucking fire. And if they die, they <laughs> and die if, if he dies, he dies. That's it. You, you, when you die out there, you don't die a hero. You die a felon. You die a felon, dog. Like that's crazy. That's. They was paying a minimum. They was they okay and thank you. They were paying a minimum wage because and that's hazard pay because rich, you know, like I know, nobody's getting minimum wage in, in jail for anything. Not anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, but at the end of the day, hey man, these people out here are exploiting us at every turn, y'all. Every turn, man. Which is why, bring me back to my whole thesis of this show. We can't do it to ourselves, man. We cannot do it to ourselves, man. These the last all this week, I've been talking about the astronomical amount of violence that's been perpetrated on black women. That's been people have been out here dealing with all types of insanity. People have been dealing out out here dealing with all kinds of pushback from, you know, black men and members of our community against black women, yo, violence against black women, not centering black women in the movement. Not being able to even admit the roles and the and the culture of disregarding black women and the role that that be playing in our struggle. You know what I'm saying? In our struggle, man, it's crazy. It's 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 so bad, yo. Like, I guess, and I and I gotta say, what started it, of course, was this J Cole shit. Listen, I listened to the song. Let me get right on it. Let me get right into it. I don't fuck with J Cole. I don't like J. Cole's music. I never really did. All right? Like, I felt like people was trying to shame me into liking J. Cole. Like, yo, he's a really nice, light-skinned kid who doesn't rap about shooting guns and selling drugs and da-da-da-da-da. And his raps are, you know, they're positive. I was like, man, that shit is boring. And it's not good. I just like good music. If the shit was good, good. There's plenty of rappers who don't rap about selling drugs and shooting guns. And they make good music. J. Cole's not one of them. Anyway, J. Cole's whole entire catalog definitely does consist of a lot of references to, you know, the black struggle. But not in a, in a revolutionary sense. Definitely not in a learned sense. But more in a, a Rodney King sense. Like, can we just all get along, guys? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm tired of our community killing each other and da 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 that got you, hear you, heard you, J. Cole. Valid points. Today, yesterday, should I say, he dropped a song called Snow on the Bluff. Snow on the Bluff is it's like a, you know, it's a um, more of an acoustic kind of feeling song. You know what I'm saying? Not heavy instrumentalist. It's not a slapper. It doesn't suck, but it's not a slapper. It's like a one verse thing. And during this verse, like the, the crux of what he was saying is this, that Yo, I think people think I'm smart. I'm not really that smart. I just went to college. But I saw this young lady's timeline, No Dave, who is a rapper, and her shit is full of, you know, darts, full of knowledge, full of this. But I don't like the way that she is talking to me or talking about me because she sent out a tweet at one point in time, wasn't even directed towards him, didn't say his name or anything, but just said that, y'all, that we going through revolution and your favorite rapper can't even put up a fucking tweet. Niggas, probably, niggas catalogs be about black liberation and plight and can't even put up a tweet during this time. 
that could have applied to 20 niggas. But Cole, however he felt, he needed to respond to it in this song. In the course of responding to it, his whole entire thesis was tone policing, no name, as if she owes him some type of, you know, coddling or some type of reverence to honor the fact that he doesn't know the same things that she knows. So therefore, she needs to teach him or she needs to be responsible for educating him rather than criticizing him for not knowing. Let's unpack that real quick. That's fucking stupid. Look, if you don't know something, you need to go pick up one of these, several of these. There's lots of them. I, I keep lots of them around in arm in arm's length. Read a book, my G. Just like she read a book. Not only did she read books, Shorty started a whole book club. Really took it a whole nother level. I have been following her for a long time. And let me keep it a buck. I only started following her based on the strength of her tweets being full of knowledge. I have never heard a no-name song. If I have, I I don't know. But I ain't never heard that shit. I have no attachment to her as an artist. I definitely don't have any attachment to J. Cole as an artist, even though J. Cole has made songs that I like. So I don't entirely hate the nigga. But I don't fuck with that nigga's music. You'll never catch me listening to a J. Cole album. I'm embarrassed to say I listen to K.O.D. in its entirety. But, you know, whatever. It was okay. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. So, fine. I'll, I'll deal with that. You know what I'm saying? I'll deal with the realities of that. What I'm saying to you is this. Shorty is minding her good old business, educating her timeline, educating herself. I watched her journey from not being very woke, not very, not very much so understanding, you know, a lot of the concepts that she was trying to uh, impart not only through her music, but through her activism. She didn't know, you know, she had to do the knowledge. She had to do the education. Watched her do the education, and this nigga going to say, don't talk to me because I haven't done the education. Teach me. Fuck out of here. You do the education, bro. Like, that's crazy. And for you to make that a a talking point is crazy because you wouldn't say that to another black man we don't tone police each other like that. As a matter of fact, tone policing the nigga is the quickest way to get fucking knocked out. Listen, you can either understand how I'm saying what I'm saying or not, but you're not going to tell me how to say what I'm saying because what I'm saying is valid. We only do that against people that, you know, we think are weak or we think are, you know, not worthy of the ultimate respect that we could give somebody's viewpoint or somebody's mind state. And that's unfair. Because we do that shit to black women way too much. As I've said on this show several times, Angela Davis is still very much so alive. And people are retweeting and quoting Sean King. People are listening to DeRay over Angela Davis, over Francis Cuss Wells and Pass, RIP, but over Carol Anderson, over Harriet Washington, all of these people, over Jean Grey. Jean Grey might be a genius. She might be the the most brilliant rapper ever. Like, people are listening to idiots over these people. And it's just very sad, man. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things that makes you, it makes you wonder, like, who are we? Who are we going to follow? You know what I mean? I think that a lot of the male leadership that we've seen throughout throughout the past decades even, has shown themselves, you know what I'm saying, to be very, 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 very superficial and very susceptible to 
to, you know, temptations, yo. Man, look, my boy Kwame Kilpatrick was my boy, man. Kwame was my man. But Kwame loved them hoes, and he let that shit get him caught up, bro. Like, because we live in a heteronormative, patriarchal society, like, people who have these type of weaknesses can get propelled to positions of power by people who know that they're going to have these weaknesses and they prey on that. They're like, oh, cool, yeah, what? But you know what? He's a smart guy. We're going to let him come on up. And then as soon as he gets a little bit too out of hand, as soon as he gets out of pocket, we're going to use these things to destroy him. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a that's a very typical strategy for black men that they've used on black men. But with black women, the strategy is to be even more nefarious because the black women who have really, really been a part of movements and who have really been the, the background of these movements have been minimalized. You know what I'm saying? It's like what they do with the men is like they build you up and they character, they either character assassinate you or they physically assassinate you. With women, they keep them subjugated. They keep the foot on their neck. Like this bullshit with J. Cole is an example of trying to keep the foot on women's neck. What the fuck, bro? Like, yo, let this woman talk. Like, if anything, amplify her. Signal boost her. Don't get out here and talk about you don't like her tone. That's some clown shit. That's some sucker shit. And that's the type of shit that, again, our community has dealt with over and over and over and over again. Yo, baby, you right. They keep people, you know, they want they want the girls in the kitchen. They want the women in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? But that's... That's that patriarchal white man mentality that we don't necessarily possess. I am of the opinion, and I think that historically the research has shown that matriarchal societies were a thing of the past. Matriarchal societies do have some inherent advantages at times that patriarchal societies don't. And look, I'm a guy saying this, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not... I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be in charge just by virtue of being in charge. God knows I like to be in charge. But sometimes I know it's not good for me to be in charge. And those times when it's not good for me to be in charge, I cannot front. The best person for the job is a woman. The best person for a job is a woman. The best person I can think of to to step in and fill in those, those cracks in my armor feeling those points where I'm lacking are oftentimes women. You know what I'm saying? And the biological differences between men and women are so so preyed upon and so harped upon that we don't see the forest for the trees and understand that, yo, these differences ain't that different. Yo, what we really need to do, like, and, and not only that they're not that different, they're balancing. The energy is balancing. You know what I'm saying? The energy balances it out. You know, the female energy, the masculine energy and the female energy is necessary for the balance of the universe. And nobody understands that that is how we're going to achieve equity. That's how we're going to achieve freedom. That's how we're going to get equality, man. You know, yo, this book here that I've been reading with uh, Carolyn Anderson, it talks about, first of all, She's an extremely, extremely intelligent author. She spoke on uh, Amy Goodman's show, Democracy Now!, and she spoke on the uh, Jonathan Capehart podcast. 
and she speaks one of her her most well-known book is called white rage and it speaks to the psychology and the pathology of why white america has this severe racial hatred towards us i've read a lot of books in that realm and i'm one of those people i don't feel like i need to be explained that needs to be explained to me so much further I do feel like I understand it to a certain, on a superficial level at least. And I'm sure I'm aware of a lot of the incidents that will be cited in that book in order to make that point. This book is about the history of voter suppression and disenfranchisement. And it says, it's called One Person, No Vote. How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. I want to make you understand, this was the plan from the beginning, y'all. From the very beginning of this nation and from the very beginning of our democratic system, it was never meant for us to be full participants in it. And the fact that we're not meant to be full participants in it shows that we're never meant to be full beneficiaries of it. And that's where we are right now. At some point along the line, we began to feel like we were full participants. Like, oh, that was so long ago. Like, I read something, I don't know how true this is, but I've seen the photos and it makes a lot of sense. The photos from the Civil Rights Movement were originally taken in color. And they were put in black and white to antiquate them, to make them look like something that was older. You know what I'm saying? To make it look like something that happened much, much longer ago. It didn't. This ain't that long ago. This is not that long ago. This is our lives, though. This is we talk about our parents' lives. You know what I'm saying? Look, my mom was born in the 40s. My grandma, who's still alive right now, was born in the 20s. As a matter of fact, my grandma, who's still alive right now, is older than MLK. I saw something that said MLK would be Barbara Walters' age if he was alive right now. Imagine if we grew up with MLK instead of Barbara Walters. Imagine if we grew up with Martin Luther King coming on our TV every day instead of Barbara Walters. Imagine how different our lives would be. Just just a little something to hold on to there. You know what I'm saying? Just something to think about. Anyway, like I said, voting and all of these things, Carolyn Anderson, who wrote this book, her whole entire thesis about the importance of voting is, again, American African American civil engagement was our one process that we felt like we could use to protect ourselves because once we were freed as slaves we definitely understood that the political structure in this country did not exist to help us in any way shape or form they they were not here to help us so we we not, we understood that which is why when reconstruction happened the first thing we did was go vote that's the first thing we did was elect our own officials, elect our own mayors and congressmen and aldermen and so on and so forth. Because of the demographics of the South, because of the amount of people, exactly, we had to learn how to read first. Because of the amount of people, African-Americans who lived in the South, we were able to elect a large amount of representatives. When those representatives were violently ousted from their seats due to voting law changes and discrimination. And again, outright violence, that is the ushering in of Jim Crow. That's the beginning of the Jim Crow era. So you have, her name is Carol Anderson. 
Carol Anderson. So, again, like, like my wife said, we had to read first. We had to learn how to read first. So determined were these people for us to not have knowledge that in the state of Virginia, they shut down entire school districts. Every school with the entire school districts and funneled tax dollars into all white private academies so that white children could continue their education and they provided no educational opportunities whatsoever for black students, meaning that they literally shut down school in whole counties, just didn't have schools. You know, the only schools we have are private in this particular municipality. It's insane, y'all, the levels of depravity that they reached to keep us uneducated. That's my point, uneducated. When you do shit, like question or disregard people who are trying to teach you, like No Name, like Angela Davis, like Jean Grey. And like you said, Gerardo, Jean Grey is, is, the, is the truth. She the GOAT. She been told you a long time ago all of this stuff was happening, how it was happening, this misogynoir, all of this craziness, yo. Like I said, man, listen to black women. Man, this has been a quick hour. One minute and 50 seconds remaining, and I'm going to end it off just like this, man. Listen. Jean Grey, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite rappers in the world, Geronimo says there's a good exhibit about what I'm speaking on at the African-American Civil War Memorial. Check it out when you get a chance. Just remember, y'all, listen, do the knowledge, do the education. Do the education. Jean Grey said this. Please read books. Please retain knowledge and information. Please read to build fluency and comprehension. Please employ and encourage critical thinking. That's all we asking, y'all. You know what I'm saying? When you employ those, those attributes, when you encourage that, then you'll be much less likely to question our sisters. You'll be much more likely to seek knowledge and know that it comes from a variety of places. One of the biggest places and one of the greatest places it comes from is from the minds and the hearts of black women, yo. Listen to black women. Listen to black women. It's an episode of The Core Report. We out here. Stop reading goddamn memes. <laughs> this is the, new, the latest episode of The Core Report right here. Listen to black women. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to holler at y'all on the flip side. Peace.